This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader, no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to become a more compelling writer. Now, from the business email to authoring a book, learning how to become a compelling writer can greatly help your ability to persuade, influence, and gain advocacy. And today we're going to focus more on the business writing for this episode because that's where a lot of you guys are coming from. So we're going to really specifically talk about how to become a more compelling business writer. But if you want an episode on tips for becoming a more literary writer, we actually have that one as well. Yes, and no matter what business you do, writing is always, always needed in some form, and you have to be at least competent at it. This mm-hmm. is especially the case in this highly virtual world where a large part of communication now is over email or channels like Slack or Teams or others. And sometimes we, in fact, get really lazy on these channels because they're perceived to be a little bit more informal. But really, you need to keep in mind that these do represent your voice and then your cumulative reputation or personal brand. Um, of course, compelling writing is also important for things like proposals, recommendations, reports. All of these are really, really critical when we talk about business correspondence. Yes, and today we have a special guest to join us in discussing this topic, and that is Scott Kieser, the writing guy. Scott, would you like to introduce to yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Yeah, happy to. And uh, you know, can I just say thank you for for hosting me on this uh, on this podcast? Uh, it's great to be here. So yeah, a few words about me by way of introduction. I'm Scott Keys of the Writing Guy. What I do is I work predominantly in professional services uh, with what I call technical professionals, lawyers, accountants, engineers, consultants, architects, even scientists. And the thing about professional services is that everybody writes, but not everybody's a writer. In other words, their writing lets them down. So what I do is I help them to find their voice, write human with a capital H and get the results they want from the words that they write, whether that's a bid, a blog or a book. And I've been doing this since 2004, so 19 years. And in that time, I worked with the likes of The Economist Group. I trained staff of The Economist for a decade. I worked with all of the big four accountancy firms, so KPMG, Deloitte. Ernst and Young, uh, now EY, of course, Accenture. I've worked with, I've worked with a number of international law firms, uh, with three barristers' chambers. I think you guys call them attorneys, yeah. <laughs> and, and a host of smaller organisations. And um, and what I've done is, in that time, I've built a persuasive writing system called Rhetorica, which is also the title of my second book. And in fact, in the last year, I finally nailed what I consider is the sort of final iteration of my persuasive writing system, which I'm calling Rhetorica 2.0. And that comprises 15 persuasive writing techniques, five planning, five drafting, five editing. And I'm basically going global with that, looking to JV and partner with international organizations to help me spread the word. 
So that's a few words about me. Well, that's amazing. I'm sure we're going to get lots of awesome points from that book. And please feel free to sprinkle those through here because I think that'll be of huge interest to our listeners. And frankly, if you can make accountants and engineers and lawyers be good writers, I mean, everybody now has hope. That's... There's hope for all of us, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's jump into how to become a more compelling business writer. So first, write for your reader. Now, this requires you to understand your reader well enough to craft your writing accordingly. And then when you have like the tough audiences, like Scott was just talking about, this becomes even more important. And the reason why this is so super critical is because you really need to tap into something they care about and really in order to grab their and hold their attention. And this is like the human nature of communication. And I know you're going to get into this, Scott, so I'm not going to belabor that point. But while you may want to believe that everything that you have to say and you being the person is like so brilliant that everybody's going to want to hear what you have to say at every moment and every day, <laughs> that's just not the case. And mm. the fact of the matter is, is there's a whole lot of other brilliant people out there who are also competing for that ear space, if you will, to that target. So you really need to tap into something that your target cares about in order to really break through with your communications. And that becomes the really the art of writing for your reader. And this really means that, you know, you want to write more about what they're interested in more versus what you want them to know about you or your point of view. Mm -hmm. And what becomes the art and what becomes the way that you actually make this compelling is that you can listen to what they need to hear and then you can craft your point of view, whatever your story or your narrative is in mm -hmm. order to make it appealing in that way. Now, the other way around, because people are like, well, why is it so bad just to kind of just tell them what I want them to know? And that's really the reason why we're talking about this, because mm. otherwise it sounds like more like an autobiography or mm. a, a story about your origin, which are all mm. important for in, in, in different contexts. But when you're writing to be compelling, your mm. art is in kind of combining those two in order to come up with something that is of use and value for both. So. Scott, I know you have a lot of tips on this, so I'm just going to turn this over to you and have you give uh, those tips to the audience. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, what you're talking about, Anne, really, really goes to the very heart of great writing. And the the irony for me is that this is not so much about writing style as about mindset and attitude. So in my training, I talk in, in, in very early on in the in the workshop. You know, I set the, the, the tenor of the workshop by talking about we need to make the the emotional shift. And this really is to do with emotional intelligence. I talk about mate, making the emotional shift from being uh, writer centric, where we're talking about ourselves to being reader centric. And that, as I say, is is less about writing style and your ability to write as a skill and much more about mindset and, and attitude. And um, what I say to the, the people who come to my training is that when you get this, when you really understand the power of this, then you're halfway home because everything will then flow from that. So on, on a kind of lighter note, I refer to, to what you, you've just described as weeing all over your reader. <laughs> this, we're great at this. We want you to know that we can do this and we can do that. And we've done this and we've done that. And it's all about, you know, we, we, we all the way home, if you're familiar <laughs> with that as a kind of lullaby or something. Um, and and it is, it's so absolutely, it's so common. 
particularly in bid writing, I work on a lot of bids, tenders, pitches and proposals. And, you know, the bid just wheeze all over the client from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And one great way of working out, it's very, very simple for your listeners. One great way of working out is, you know, whether you are weeing all over your reader or not, is to count the number of times you use the word we or words, we, us and our, or the name of your organization, as opposed to the number of times you use you, your, and their name or the name of their organization. And if you are if you are using we, us and our more than the opposite, than the you and your, then you can, that indicates to me immediately that you're weeing all over them. And that's bad news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, th- this goes back to a, a very fundamental psychological principle, which is the idea of implicit egotism. And what I mean by that, it sounds very fancy, but it's actually really simple. That we tend to be more interested in ourselves in the, and in our own agenda more than in the other person's. So therefore, if we start reading something and they are talking exclusively about themselves, we're going to turn off. We're going to feel alienated. We are not. We're going to disengage. And that's that's failure. We've failed as communicators when when we've done that. So the single best way to to write compellingly, to use your word, which is a lovely word because it's about driving the reader to a destination that you want them to arrive at. The single best way of doing that is show, showing them through the written word that you really get them and you understand them and you understand their needs and their pain. It's really about understanding their pain, because for me, if you can articulate the pain and the headaches and the the trouble they're going through, then they that will resonate with them. And that's a great way. The best way I know of engaging with them, getting their engagement. And then when you show them the benefits to them of removing that pain or removing that headache, then that that's how we motivate them. So it's got to be all about them and not about us. And it's fundamental. Yeah, I mean, I think it's such a good point. I mean, in our duo, I come from the agency side of the world. And exactly what you said is, is what yeah. historically we would do, right? We would put together RFPs or proposals or pitches or presentations. And the first 20 minutes was all about us. Right. That's right. And I finally got to a point where I'm like, guys, you know what? They're vetting five or six of us in one day. The yeah. last thing they yeah. want to see or yeah. hear is the same yeah. thing in different words about That's us. Right. Because exactly. All yeah. agencies are the same. And mm. so very yeah. fundamental to Anne and my, you know, our business right now mm. is mm. flipping that discussion and getting very quickly into what keeps you up at night? Why yeah. do you think you need that thing? That's right. Okay, you asked us mm-hmm. to propose a website. Why mm-hmm. the website? And mm-hmm. really probing there and getting mm-hmm. them to sure. open up. So flipping the yeah. conversation, exactly yeah. like you just said. Yeah. And it's unbelievable the power that that has because everybody likes to talk about themselves. Mm. Right? No, I know. Yeah. The minute you start asking, it's like then they just start talking. Absolutely, and but but there, there's a social analogy here, isn't there? You know, we we've all been sitting, we've gone to a dinner party, and we've all been sitting next to somebody who just talks only about themselves. They're, they're really boring. <laughs> yes, and and it, it's weird. There's an inverse correlation that the more interested somebody is in us, the more we perceive them to be interesting. And yes, it's the same in business. Yes, exactly the same. It's so fundamental, and yet. You know, when I, I, as I mentioned, I work on a lot of bids and tenders and proposals. 
I find that a lot of the companies that I work with who are bidding for a, a major contract, they either haven't gone to the trouble of or they haven't been able to get access to the decision makers pre-submission. Yep. And as a result, they, they don't know what the pain points are and therefore they have to talk about themselves because, because they, they, they simply don't have the, you know, the raw material, the data, the understanding to be able to talk about the, the client or the decision maker. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a huge point. And that's the essence of what we talk about brand love and, the, and writing is one avenue with regards to being able to make that connection. And that's the human connection mm. of being mm. able to tap into something that's emotionally charged for that person, yeah. which is ultimately what they care about it. They care yes. about it at the end of the day mm. is making life better for themselves. So mm. figure out yeah. how you're going to write in order to make sure that they get that you get how they feel and how you're going to make them feel differently because that's the ultimate state that you're trying to reach. Yeah. I, I, lo I love the way you put that actually, Anne, that they, that they are emotionally charged uh, by the, the pain that they're going through, that they want your help in removing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Awesome. So now we'll move on to the next point for becoming a more compelling business writer, and that's to find your voice. And we've kind of alluded to this a little bit, but let's mm. put a sharper point on this because it's much easier said than done, because what it necessitates is you really defining your brand character and your tone of voice as it relates to the style of your writing, right? So if the first point was more about that mindset shift that you were talking about, mm. Scott, the second point is more about, okay, how are you going to write in a way that feels like you, that's authentically yes. you, that mm -hmm. also is going to engage your your reader. So what we're gonna just call this writing character and tone of voice to avoid confusion from brand. But as we've been talking about, there's a ton of parallels between the two and we're gonna mm -hmm. continue to make some of those parallels. Sure. So your writing character is how your writing shows up as perceived by the reader. So mm -hmm. in other words, we call it kind of your writing personality. So what really would you want the person to believe about you, a believe about the work you're doing, believe about whatever you're trying to convey is really the essence of the personality that you want to define. If you want to flip it, what I found helpful is to say, hey, like if somebody was writing a review of your work, and I know this sounds a little silly to say when you're talking about maybe a business email, but seriously, like a bunch of business emails starts looking like a body of work. It starts to build a reputation mm -hmm. or credibility. So what would you want somebody to say about your quote unquote body of work? And that becomes the essence of how you want to cultivate your style. So do you want people to think you're smart and articulate or do you want them to think you're clever and entertaining? So those are elements that you need to think about. Because then what that does, it starts transcending into your tone of voice and the tone of voice becomes more specific choices around how you're going to sound in order to deliver that character and deliver it in a very consistent way. Because that is super important that if your tone starts sounding all over the place, people have mm -hmm. a really hard time internalizing what they're supposed to get from you. And therefore, can they trust you or not? Sure. Are, are, are yeah. you a person that is is um, going to really follow through with what you're you're writing about or writing in response to. So for example, if you want to sound articulate, you better be thinking about some tone of voice principles that are going to convey that to whatever your reader internalizes or interprets articulate mm -hmm. to be. So maybe it's mm -hmm. in your sophistication of writing, maybe it's in your word choices, maybe it's in the formality of your sentences. It's, it's definitely not in mm -hmm. being very informal, slangy, colloquial, right? So that may not feel articulate, or it might be depending on your mm -hmm. audience, if that's what you mm -hmm. need to define. Sure. Your writing character and tone of voice is 
like we said, a very big reflection of your personal brand. So if you're struggling with how that it should sound or what you want it to sound like, start there because that could be the essence for those characteristics that kind of help to define your writing. So what's your thoughts Mm -hmm. here on this? So you, yeah, you've you've raised um, a, a kind of jamboree of different of different issues there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love you, Bernie. You're playing like a guitar. Which one should I pick? Well, okay. So there there are a couple of things that come to mind here. First of all, tone of voice, and I'm presenting these in no particular order. But tone of voice is is interesting. My definition of tone of voice is how your writing sounds to the reader and makes them feel. And we need to be clear about how we want to make our readers feel. Do we, in most cases, and you used an interesting word earlier, Anne, which is connection. You know, in in, when I'm writing or when I'm training clients to, to write with greater impact, in most cases, you know, they want to, they want to make the reader feel connected with them through the written word so for me it's about building rapport in a way that they know like and trust you even if they've never met you in person but that you know you've built that rapport through the written word so we need we need to be very careful about the how we're coming across to the reader you know are we coming across are we sounding overly chummy and informal on the one hand or are we sounding a bit sort of superior and arrogant and high-handed or are we sounding collegiate and collaborative you know we need to be clear about that so that's tone of voice and it and the feeling bit as far as the reader goes is is for me really key so just say again for me tone of voice is how our writing uh, sounds to the reader and makes them feel and one of the ways of assessing your tone of voice or our tone of voice, because we're all writers, is to do a very simple thing, which is one of my 15 techniques, which is read your writing out loud. Yes. Before you send it. Yes. It's so incredibly effective. Yep, it is. It's such an elegantly effective technique, and yet nobody does it. I say nobody does it. Professional writers do it because they know that it that it's, it's just worth its weight in gold. But non-professional writers tend to get very self-conscious about hearing their voice but it's such a simple and effective way of judging and assessing the tone of voice of your writing so that's one thing now tone of voice has the very important word voice in it and for me whether we call it personality or character or disposition i mean i i tend i like the 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 word voice because it's very human and it has a connotation of vocalizing what we've written. There's nothing very powerful about, about voice. So how do, I, how do I help my clients to find their voice? It's really simple. And it hit me like a, like a freight train just, uh, well, on September the 9th, 2020, I was running a workshop. <laughs> wow. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, tell you exactly. a story. Yeah, it was with a it. whole bunch of graduates, very bright, lovely people. And one of the graduates, I think there are about 12 of them in the room. And in the afternoon, I run a, a, a it basically the workshop culminates in a longer writing exercise where having shared my 15 writing te- techniques with them, 
uh, I then invite them to apply those techniques to a piece of their own writing. And it, it can be a case of them rewriting or editing something that they've already produced or to, to, to start from scratch. And in this case, there was a graduate called, let's call her Debbie. And um, she was writing, uh, she was actually rewriting a blog. It was about a technical subject. And she was in the front row and I just sort of, so I let them, I, I briefed them on the exercise and I, I let them start. And within about five or 10 minutes, I could just see that she was really agitated and struggling and she was getting a bit upset and kind of frustrated. And I just went up to her and I said, Debbie, you know, is there something wrong? And she said, she, her face was the picture of frustration. And she said, you know, I just can't find the right words. It's not, it's not coming for me. And I said, well, what are you trying to say? And tell me as if you were explaining it to your mum or your dad or your significant other or your brother or your sister. And she just turned to me and she said, what I'm really trying to say is yada, 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 which was just fantastically clear and fluent and articulate. And I said, there you go, write that. That's your first draft. Just capture what you've written vocally. That is your first draft. And she turned in a really brilliant piece of writing, which was not only clear, and I'll come back to what I mean by clarity in a minute, which may sound a bit odd, but I'll come back to that. But it sounded like Debbie. It was human and it sounded like her. It wasn't full of kind of, excuse my French, kind of bullshit bingo jargon, you know, business <laughs> jargon. Yeah. And it was just a really clear, crystal clear piece of writing. And she'd found her voice. And essentially, she'd given herself permission to write more as she speaks, to sound more like Debbie. Because so often when I, when I, I run my workshops, and somebody asked me to review a piece of writing and it just doesn't sound like them. And I say, but Jim, you don't you don't speak like that. You don't sound like that. Write more as you speak. A lot of that's to do with confidence, having the confidence to use plain English, what I call middle register language. So neither informal or colloquial nor form, formal, but good old fashioned everyday conversational plain English is generally where the human voice sounds best. And are we talking American English or British English? <laughs> well, either. If you're American, then, then you must use plain, plain American English. You know? um, I don't know what that means for you, but, but I'll give you some examples, actually. So rather than using the word purchase, just say buy. Yeah. Rather than saying request, just say ask. Mm -hmm. rather than saying terminate just say end or finish or kill depending on the context <laughs> rather than saying depart from the french partir just say leave you know it's as simple as that it's really easy this stuff is really easy so yeah. people have to have the the confidence to give themselves the permission to write plain english and to use their voice yeah, it, I mean, it is such a, an interesting and important technique. I mean, when we do our branding work, actually, and we do, we get to brand story and tone of voice, we read it to the audience. Mm -hmm. And yeah. every time I go to do it, I always say, this is going to sound stupid or awkward or whatever, but just give me a minute. If you hear me read it out loud, you will get a feeling one way or another if mm -hmm. it is right. Yeah. 
it's yeah. very different mm-hmm. than just looking at the words on sure. the page. Yeah. And then consequently, I got that fed right back to me the other day because mm-hmm. we did some brand character work for one of our clients. And as much as I try very hard, some of our marketing and branding speak may have snuck its way in there. <laughs> and there was, yeah. I mean, I was mortified. POV was actually in there. POV, not even point of view. POV. Oh, really? <laughs> and I looked at the highlights that came back from her and immediately I went back and I said, Jessica, I'm so sorry. I did not follow my own advice and read this no. out loud or I yeah. would have got mm. that. Here's the revision, right? But yeah, I mean, yeah. the power of that is just tremendous. And it is. The other thing that I think helps with saying it out loud is it gets you over the hump of starting. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I feel sure. like, you know, you hear the word assignment, right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. I have to write this proposal or I have to write a blog post. And yeah. you get almost like paralysis of mm-hmm. what to do. And you get so page fright. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's, you know, it's speaking it out loud or, you know, I'm, kept seeing in the neighborhood having conversations with myself, quite frankly, because I'm trying to work out what yeah, I sure. want to say, yeah. right? Yeah. That can be a tremendous mm-hmm. starting point to get you over that hump to actually put yeah. something to paper as opposed yeah. to sitting there and doing nothing. I, I, I think you make a very good point. And, and every writer, every professional writer I've ever met admits that when he or she is writing, that they speak to themselves a lot. I mean, when I'm doing some copywriting and trying to figure out something, I literally say, oh, Scott, what are you, what are you trying to say here? What, what I really mean is, and you know, out loud, because yep. there's something very powerful about verbalizing and vocalizing what we're trying to, to convey in words. And, and Peter Elbow, I don't know if you know a guy called Peter Elbow. No. Uh, but, oh, kind of a slightly amusing name, but a brilliant, a brilliant a brilliant writer on writing, he put it beautifully He, in one of his books. It's on my bookshelf over there. He said, we must use the skill that we find easiest, speech, to help us with the skill that we find hardest, writing. Mm. I thought it was beautifully put. Mm-hmm. It is about vocalising out loud what we're trying to write in, in black and white on the page or on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, I love that point because I think so many people, like you said, get page fright or just paralyzed by writing because they feel like they need to write in a certain way mm-hmm. in order to be the, the the acclaimed writer or the respected writer, or the credible mm-hmm. writer that they want to mm-hmm. be. And mm-hmm. I've had this conversation with a couple of our coaches, frankly, where they're like, I really like to write, but I'm like, I, I just don't like, I'm not a very, like, again, I'll use the word articulate, or I don't use sophisticated language, or my mm, language is mm. very plain and simple. And it's like, I love what you said about, it's okay to use that language. And in mm. fact, it could help yeah. your writing being yeah. more easily received, that rapport that you talked about being built, yeah. it's more relatable. So mm. not everybody has to sound very eruditic where it's like, Oh, we have to sound like you know we're professors and have five PhDs in order to be <laughs> no, a no, 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 It's no. about speaking in a manner again that your reader is going to mm. be able to relate to and internalize. That's right. You use simple language. Sometimes that's the beauty of people's like ability to communicate. Like it's the simplicity mm. of the language. It's not necessarily yeah, that sure. you use big words. And I had that have that with that conversation with her. And once she got over that, she's like, oh. I, I can just like write how I, you know, speak or how I write as mm. well. Like, yeah, now yeah. she loves writing, right? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And everything it, like it's that. a kind of epiphany. It, it yes. was an epiphany for her. Yeah. Freedom. Yep. 
It's like, woo. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can write. I can write like this. I'm like, yes. Yeah. I mean, what's wrong with your writing? Well, I always thought it had to be something else, something different, you know? And yeah. it's like, no. So, 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 the, so the, this, is, this is a fundamental issue that, that I, that I butt up against all the time in, in professional services. And the key word there is professional. So I think when you and I spoke on the screening call, and I mentioned that a number of years ago, and in my book, I, I refer to the myth of professionalism, right. capital M, capital P. And the myth of professionalism sort of brings with it a number of sort of mini myths, if I can use that terminology. And in no particular order, one is in order to be a professional, whatever that means, I must show how clever I am. And to show how clever I am, I must use fancy, uber formal, sophisticated language. And that means that the more the more formal language, the higher register language you use, the harder you're making it, your, your reader work to get your message. Right. Because the more we're using formal, fancy, polysyllabic, complicated words, the more barriers we're putting up between us and the reader the more processing power that the reader will need in order to decode and decipher your meaning. So that's one thing. That's one mini myth with, you know, the, the, the compulsion to show off and show how clever we are uh, using formal language. The other sort of mini myth of professionalism is that, which really comes from a place of fear and anxiety and risk, which is, and this is what goes on in the, in the writer's head, which says the more detail I throw into this writing, the more I de-risk this communication vis-a-vis my organisation. So as a result, they end up throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, into the content and overwhelming the reader. There is no clear thinking about what to omit and what to include. And you'll end up with a piece of turgid writing. And then and then the, the other sort of mini myth, I just made a note of it earlier on. Yeah, I mean, I, I touched on it really, which is that we need to be formal, that somehow there's this equation, people equate professionalism with formal writing. And that is going to result in complicated, needlessly complicated language. And in fact, a number of years ago, a professor at Princeton University uh, did a study among his, um, I think, second year students. Uh, and he surveyed, I can't remember the size of the sample, it was quite a big sample. And he surveyed his students and 94% of them, I think, admitted to using needlessly formal language in their assignments in order to impress the reader. What was interesting, in, in other words, their professor, what was interesting, though, was that the average the conclusion was the average reader, when they realize that you're ne- using needlessly formal language to impress them, that reduces their perception of you as an articulate and intellectual person. So there's an inverse correlation b- between the two. So what, what I just wanted to sort of close this particular segment with by saying is that this myth of professionalism is really insidious and it undermines a lot of great writing because, you know, if you if you are writing a technical piece, you know, I said I work with a lot of lawyers and accountants, a lot of them are writing 
you know, about the latest sort of legislation or regulation, you know, necessarily technical. If you are using sophisticated language, formal language to convey technical content, you are going to make your reader work extremely hard. They don't realize that the best possible combination is intellectually rigorous, world-class content conveyed so clearly using plain English that your reader gets it in one go. And that's my definition of clarity. I often say to, to my delegates, what do we mean by clarity? And they say, well, it's obviously clear writing. But for me, clear writing is writing that's so clear your reader, your reader gets it in one reading, in one go. And that is so rare. You know, you it's rarer than hen's teeth, as we say on the side <laughs> of the pond. <laughs> so I, I hope that was a bit of a rant, but I hope for your listeners that makes sense to you about the myth of profession. It's very insidious. Marketing Smarts is sponsored by scottmouts.com, S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z.com. Scott Mouts is a popular keynote speaker and number one best-selling author whose latest book and talk, Leading from the Middle, helps middle managers dramatically increase their influence up, down, and across their organization. Want your company's middle managers and leaders equipped to foster a high-performing organization? Want them inspired to drive the change and transformation that's a challenging necessity moving forward? Then go to scottmouts.com to check out Leading from the Middle and all of Scott's keynotes, trainings, courses, and books. On a personal note, Marketing Smarts has worked with Scott as our business coach and found our own successful results. So we highly endorse him. Now, I think that is really well said. And I think it actually segues very nicely into the next point, especially as we're talking about clarity, and that's in the structure. And here's mm -hmm. where I'll say for the third point is that structure is important. And I will, you know, put a little bit of props on the on the PNG side for a second when I talk about our PNG one pager, mm -hmm. and that was like the the core of how most people would write business correspondences at PNG, and actually it's taught at Harvard and everything else, so it's mm -hmm. become very very mm -hmm. prolific. And honestly, it's one of the only trainings that I found very useful. And I might have <laughs> kept some of the materials. I might just have done that. Um, but I'm not going to like go into exactly what that one pager is. If you, are, is there any, if anybody's interested in it, you can Google the PNG one pager, and everything comes up. But whether or not you use that format or not, the whole point is is that you need to organize the thinking in a way that you're reader is going to be able to internalize their processing. Mm -hmm. So that is then de developing a structure then that can marry the two. And that's uh, frankly what the PNG one pager does very well in mm -hmm. the way that it outlines how do you uh, uh, organize your POV, your recommendation, your, your proposal, mm -hmm. whatever it is, mm -hmm. in a way that mm -hmm. your actual listener is going to be able to process through and, and as they're processing through and they're generating questions in their head, Mm -hmm. your writing is answering those questions as they're reading along so it kind of pulls them through which to the sure. point of like if you want them to read it once then you have to be able to be able to really get into their heads and figure out how are they going to process through whatever you're trying to mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. yeah so now we see people making some mistakes here and so i was going to point out a few of these and i know you have plenty that you can also pull out and, and, and exemplify but one one that we see that really hurts to uh, be able to 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 translate your thoughts into their processing is by bearing the lead. 
right? Mm -hmm. So in a lot of cases, whatever you want your reader to take away, whatever your objective that correspondence is, it needs to be upfront, clearly and concisely communicated. A lot mm -hmm. of times we'll spend a, you know, the first paragraph, if you will, like providing a lot of context and, and rationale. And really that does, is that's important, but it has to come a little bit later. Initially with the person's like, why are you even communicating with me? What do I even need to understand about what you're telling me? Tell me that right at the very beginning. Yeah. Another one we we hear people do and we see people do is ramble. And that's a really big one. And I think it comes back to what you were saying about being very, very specific in what information you actually need to have in this correspondence and not have it be everything underneath the sun that you think that your reader needs yeah, to understand sure. now. And I would even say it's really, really helpful to bullet point those points. I mm -hmm. think that helps people to really internalize where are the key points of this. It helps the actual writing being broken up a little bit. Now, mm -hmm. depending on format, I mean, okay, mm -hmm. fine. You, know, you have a little bit of liberties when it comes to format, but bullet points helps people understand the key points, what they're supposed to take away, what you want them to address specifically. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, it, and I think feel like if it's hidden in a paragraph, it, you start losing that clarity of thought and that mm -hmm. clarity of communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And which is why you shouldn't want it to be too long either, because if it starts getting too long, you start getting mm -hmm. the reader to be fatigued. There's a minimum mm -hmm. amount of attention sure. span. Now, the more compelling you're writing, the more your your reader will go down the funnel with you. But that is also an art in in a in the structure will going to help you do that. And then mm -hmm. I know April, you have a few too that you want to build on. Yeah, this. I mean the the couple, and then Scott will definitely turn it over to you as the mm -hmm. pro in sure. this stuff, but. Mm -hmm. I think the part of what happens with the ramble is that you aren't using the filter of relevancy. And so therefore there's a bunch of stuff in there that's causing confusion. And really it comes from being choiceful in whatever your point of view is, and then making sure that everything you're including ties back to that because mm -hmm. Anne made a really mm -hmm. important point that it's one page. <laughs> so you sure. only have yeah so much mm -hmm. space and okay that's not always the structure and there may be multiples and all of that but i think if you can be really clear in what your point of view is that you want them to take away mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. adding only what's relevant against that that mm -hmm. can really make sure that you are clear in your communication sure what are your thoughts Scott? The, 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 this reminds me of a famous saying by oscar wilde the british writer um who said uh, he'd written a, a letter to a friend. He said, I'm sorry I've written you a long letter. I didn't have time to write you a short one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. As you, as you say, writing something where you've chosen judiciously what to include and what to leave out takes time and, en and energy. Yeah. Th this is fundamental. Structure, I think structure is more important than language, personally. And the reason for that is that no matter how beautifully you write, if your reader doesn't know where you're taking them, where you've taken them, or where they are at the moment, they're going to give up. They're going to stop reading. So structure is more important than, than language. Here, here's a, a three-letter acronym, a tip that hopefully uh, will be a value to your to your listeners. And that is when I talk in the planning section of my system about about structure planning includes structure uh, and to use your word the purpose of your communication which is really the sort of it's your root north it's your magnetic north through your writing 
I encourage them to think about the three dimensions of the behavior they're trying to change in the reader. And I express that very simply as FFA, facts, feelings, and action. In other words, in that one pager, what do you want the reader to know? What do you want them to feel? What emotion do you want them to feel? And then the A is action. What do you want them to do? Which is usually just one thing. You want them to respond in some way. You want them to sign a contract or give you information or call you up. or So that's FFA. And that helps guide the, the writer through, well, it gives you, it helps you define your purpose, which in turn will help you to adopt a really clear structure. So in terms of structure, for me, structure breaks down into three distinct pieces or components. The first and most important, as you quite rightly said, Anne, is the organization and the arrangement of the content. So what order are you going to be? First of all, what are you going to say? What's the content? And then what is the logical order in which you are going to present that content? So that's the first thing. The second element of structure is navigation. If your reader, upon opening the email or the document, is just greeted by this dense slab, this wall of text, <laughs> and there's no navigation, there's no signposting, they're going to give up. So one of the one of the essential elements of navigation for me is subheadings. I'm less convinced about bullets. I don't know about you guys, but over here on this side of the pond, bullets bullets are way overused. Oh. <laughs> you know, what I what I do prefer. So we talk about you know de death by by bullets, death by PowerPoint. What I do prefer are kind of small bite sized paragraphs, uh, preceded or prefaced with subheadings or with topic sentences a topic sentence you probably know what that is which is which is a a sentence that both introduces and summarizes the paragraph to which it belongs i mean subheadings are great because if they're emboldened then they stand out from the text and if they're informative and descriptive enough just by scanning those subheadings should give the reader the gist of what your document is about so the, the, the second element of structure is navigation or signposting. And then the third element of structure is design. It's literally the, the look and feel, the visual interest of the page on the screen or on the printed page. And, and that, you know, people may think that that's not part of structure, but for me, it's all part of making reading your text a pleasurable, enjoyable experience because it's it's clear it's navigable it looks nice you know you're not you're not using 15 different typefaces on the same page there's visual interest maybe there's graphics there breaking up the text it's all about for me it's all about making it engaging for your reader as such that the harder we work as the writer then the easier it is and the less hard the reader has to work to get our meaning so structure is absolutely fundamental, more important than language. Yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking about the way we used to teach account management folks the structure of emails, right? Mm -hmm. And the first thing we would say is that if it doesn't fit the structure, then you better pick up the phone and call, 
because it yeah. doesn't belong in an email. So it's the mm -hmm. wrong forum. Mm -hmm. But all of the things you said are exactly right. And it's so ingrained in me after all these years that mm -hmm. I inherently do exactly what you just said. It's it's in service to our clients to make mm -hmm. it enjoyable and easy so that they engage yeah. and do what we want. Sure. But it is, and I do use bullets over here, but mm -hmm. for the sake of it, you know, it's the intro, it's the what are we mm -hmm. talking about here, and then exactly bolded subtitles, either a couple sentences or a couple bullets yeah. underneath, and then the next thing, and then the next mm -hmm. thing. And sure. It makes it very easy for them to get a top line of what I'm asking for, mm -hmm. and then right. delve into the specific asks, mm -hmm. and yeah. then know how to respond. And I know it's working when they go into each of the points and just kind of type their response in a different color. You can mm -hmm. tell you've made it easy for them to answer versus mm -hmm. We've sure. all gotten those communications and emails a vehicle that it happens where you just get that brick of text, like you said. Mm, that's right. And yeah. I just look at it and I go, oh, I can't even mm. I can't even go there. Right. That's so right. Just an example, I think, that shows why structure and the way in which you're choosing to communicate. So that format, that vehicle, whatever it is, they all yeah. have different structures that you have yeah. to then in turn learn and use based on that vehicle. Sure. And and the other thing that that we we need to bear in mind, and, and you know, for your listeners as well, is that when we're writing something, because you know, it, it's something that we're we're giving single-minded attention to, and we assume that the readers are going to engage with our words with the same level of brain power. <laughs> yep, and that's a very dangerous assumption. Yes, most of our readers were, in my humble opinion. Most of our readers, we're lucky if we get 75% of their brain power engaging with our words. And so therefore, the easier and the simpler we make it for them, the, the, the better off we're all going to be. You know, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I love no. what you had to say about design, too, because that's a lot of sometimes the pushback we get when we are scoping something like an info sheet or, you know, another mm. piece of marketing collateral. Mm. And uh, the, I, I feel like the design sometimes is undervalued mm. for the purpose of, like, of the mm. copy, right? Yeah. And so they're like, oh, we'll just, you know, put a header and some visuals here. But there's something to be said about the, the combination of the design, the visual appearance mm. of it all, mm. and the copy and how it works together sure. in order to make it more mm. readable, in order to that, make it right. easier to be internalized, all of those things that we've been talking about. So. Mm. I heard you say loud and clear, Scott, about that design, and I hope everybody else is hearing that, that that's not something to be undermined when you're trying to put together marketing collateral in, you know, in your in your visual appearance of the yeah. communication. So, yeah, yeah, love that. And, and then, sorry, just just to close on structure, um, the other thing I'd say, again, I I talk about this a lot in my training, which is if you take nothing else away from the structural piece, for me, it's about you know, referring to your phrase, burying the lead. The key element of structure is we need to lead, to use your word, with what most matters to the reader, whether that's answering their question or giving the major finding from a survey or articulating the major benefit to them of, of working with us. Whatever most is of most value to them, that's what we lead with. And so for me, in structural terms, that's about getting to the value to the reader as soon as possible. And don't delay it. Don't put it off till the end because they might have left by then. Yes. <laughs> so yes. right. Uh, right. Yeah. All right. Our fourth 
point about how to become a more compelling writer is to proofread. And oh. it sounds like we're supposed to proofread out loud. <laughs> right, that, that is certainly one technique, yes. Yes. Yeah. I think we could all agree that nothing ruins your credibility more than making silly spelling, punctuation, mm -hmm. word choice mistakes, all of which can be avoided if you just do a simple proofread, even on quick emails. And the reason why is because it's sometimes you know, we get we get stuck in this like informality of the channel, right? We think, oh, mm. if it's just a quick email or if it's just a quick text, it's okay if not everything is spelt right or the punctuation's wrong or something's not capitalized. What I said before plays here is that this becomes a body of work. So if if, mm. if you're consistently like that, then people start to expect that from you, and that starts reflecting back on your credibility, your reputation, mm. your your personal brand. Sure. So it's really, really important that you do that little proofread. And it also gives you a chance to double check that your thoughts are clear and concise to the points that you were making before, Scott, is that if you can read it from the point of view of your reader, your eventual mm. reader, it allows you to kind of make sure that you've answered the critical questions that you haven't overindulged in just kind of like word vomiting all over the page about what you want to talk about. Now, it may not necessarily like, again, you might say, well, I didn't really cover this point in my writing and, and that's fine. You may mm -hmm. then hold that and, and hold that as a Q&A in anticipation that they're going to come back with that question. And so mm -hmm. that sets you up for the next communication, whether it's a writing or verbal communication. Mm -hmm. But also proofreading allows you to address blind spots. And I think this is a really important one because for me, I tend to be a kind of like a straightforward communicator. Like I'll say, I'm an engineer by background, so it's like, I, if you want A, then you need B and A plus B equals C. And then, okay, I'm done with my email, right? And I forget, like, sometimes I need to acknowledge the team. I need to thank them for their good work. I need to ask them how they're doing and those sorts of things. So it allows me to go back and make sure that I haven't inadvertently forgot some of the important things that make my communication relatable, make my communication better received, make sure the tone is right on, make sure the character is there, make sure... When I read it out loud, I sound you know the way that I want somebody to internalize it when they read it. So all of those important things. So Scott, what other points do you have here with regards to proofreading? Yeah, you know, as, as you say, proofreading is vital. I mean, in my writing system, it's the um, it's the the final P of the the technique. You know, is proofreading. That's the very last thing that we do before we press the send button or publish or broadcast whatever we've we've written. I would just um, distinguish, though, between checking that your content includes everything you want it to include, to your point, and about have I thanked the team and, you know, all that kind of thing, which for me is covered under ROL, reading out loud, and we need to be doing that throughout the writing process, as opposed to proofreading, which is really picking up those very annoying little typos those typographical mistakes where something is misspelt or as i as i witnessed recently in somebody's document numbers had miraculously inserted themselves into the middle of words which was very very odd or, or double punctuation marks or double spacing so i think for your listeners we need to we need to distinguish between checking that our content is on message and is including everything we need which we should do throughout the writing process and proofreading which is spotting those those often tiny typographical errors uh, those typos obviously rol can help 
reading out loud can help. But I've got a, another, uh, well, it, it is the professional proofreading technique, which your listeners are probably going to hate me for. But basically, <laughs> but basically what it is, is, um, and I know this because I personally know a professional proofreader and she does this. So, folks, what you have to do is if you want to proofread a document, you print it out. Mm -hmm. It's oh, inefficient yeah. to, to proofread on the screen and it's going to be very tiring for your eyes. You print it out and you go to the very last page and you go to the last word on the last page and you read backwards from right to left and from the bottom line to the top of the page backwards from the end of the document to the very beginning. And the reason why that is a professional proofreading technique and you used exactly the right word, Anne, earlier, which is it helps make sure that you don't you don't miss the blind spots. You don't suck, get sucked into the blind spots because as a technique, it forces you to consider one word at a time. Because it already it assumes and presupposes that your content, you know, your content is there. And you broadly want to say what you want it to say, but you catch things like sign where you meant sing, uh, sing where you meant sign, from where you meant form, and vice versa, form where you meant from, and little and little mistakes, as I was saying earlier, you know, typograph typos, because you have enough of context from the rest of the line to know which it should be, whether it's sing or sign or from or form. Uh, but as I say, force, it's a technique that forces you to consider one word at a time. Very laborious, but very, very effective. Yeah, brutal. You, mm. As you started that, I had completely blocked that out of my mind. You took me right back to being a baby at my very first agency and watching the professional mm. proofreader yeah. do this. And I remember I didn't it didn't click as, as to why this works, but it stuck with me mm. ever since now that I'm remembering this yeah. idea that it doesn't allow you to get sucked into the content. Absolutely. And yeah. The and yeah. So therefore you are hyper-focused because you're going against the grain of what yeah. you actually typically do, because that's how so many of us miss things when we're writing is we get almost like lulled into mm -hmm. the message yeah. versus going against that grain turns on something different in the brain. Right. Absolutely. And and it's you've put it in a very good way, April, which is we don't get sucked into the content. It's a brilliant way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I'll tell you a story, I mean, just very briefly. My, so I've written two books. And my second book, Rhetorica, is about writing, persuasive writing. It's called Rhetorica, a toolkit of 21 everyday writing techniques. A book on writing. And when it when I'd finished my manuscript. I said to my designer, I'm going to proofread it myself. And he said, you can't proofread your own work. No, you can't. And I fancied myself as a bit of a proofreader. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I proofread and I said, listen, there are no mistakes. And he said, he's a lovely guy, Phil. He said, please, 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 please send it to Tamsin to get it professionally proofread. And thank goodness I did. Yes. In a book on writing, that manuscript would have been published with she found 47 typos. <laughs> it would have been published like that and it would have been like, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, thank thank goodness for Tamsin. It was brilliant. There are no typos in my book. Yeah. 
That is, though. I mean, I will say, and I know it's a personal rub or pet peeve of mine, but when I read anything, and it could be like a several hundred page book, even one mm. typo, I leave with a different impression. Yeah, uh, sure. Like, sure. Someone the, the, that. No, absolutely. The analogy I make is that good writing is like a clear window. You're not aware of the glass. You only see the view beyond. A typo acts as a smudge on the glass. It diverts attention to the window, not the view, away from the view. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Now that's brilliant. All right. Our next segment is a brand that we use. This one we usually talk about when it's just April and I that's doing their marketing smarts well or not so well. But when we have a guest, obviously our guest is doing our marketing smarts very well. So, Scott, what we'd love you for you to do is just kind of like bring us home, wrap us up. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you feel is really critical to to mention here to for our listeners mm -hmm. as well as you know, where can people find you? Where can people find your book? Give us all oh. of this. Okay, great. And um, so in terms of where to find me, uh, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. If you just put Scott Keys of the writing guy into the search bar, uh, you'll find me. I would normally give you my web web address, but I'm um, I'm redoing my website at the moment. So uh, that's for later in the year. In terms of my two books, I've written two books, one on how to double your tender win rate. In other words, to business development, to win more bids and tenders. That's called Winner Takes All. Uh, and my second book is called Rhetorica, uh, which I mentioned both my books are available on, on Amazon. Uh, so again, if any of your listeners uh, go into Amazon and just uh, put Scott Keezer, uh, you don't even need to put the writing guy, just Scott Keezer in the search bar. Both my books will come up. Uh, that would be great. Uh, very proud of my books. My second book, Rhetorica, is the best thing I've ever done. Uh, it has only five star reviews, but uh, there you go. So all, all those uh, all those plain brown paper envelopes I gave to my friends have obviously worked. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of wrapping up, we've covered we've covered some really fundamental issues around structure, around design about making it and making reading an enjoyable experience for your reader, uh, about defining your route north in terms of your purpose, uh, visual interest, uh, being reader centric, which is a form of emotional intelligence, uh, structure more important than language. Uh, we talked a bit about the benefits of plain English, in other words, what I call middle register language. Uh, so neither informal or colloquial down at the bottom of the register, nor needlessly formal up at the top. One thing I would like to add that we haven't really talked about, and it's very um, it's very easily dispensed with, is this issue of conciseness. So many years ago, I ran a survey amongst my clients, asking them what the single biggest writing issue for them was. And 94% of them said it's conciseness. In other words, the ability to write succinctly and to get your point across in as few words as possible. Uh, so this is one of my uh, system's 15 writing techniques. Uh, I didn't invent it. Um, it was actually, if, you're, if your listeners are genuinely interested in improving their writing, uh, besides buying my second book, Rhetorica, 
Uh, they should also buy a wonderful book called The Elements of Style that was written in 1919 and has sold over a million copies, uh, affectionately known as Strunk and White. Uh, so it's written by a professor at Cornell University uh, called Professor Strunk. And one of his pupils was Elwyn Brooks White, who wrote Stuart Little and Charlotte's Web. And together they wrote this gem of a book called The Elements of Style. And obviously it's been reprinted and modernized since 1919. But even in 1919, the one, the single guaranteed way of writing concisely, which is, I believe, their Technique 17, uh, which I use in my system and I credit them, I give credit where it's due, it's not my invention, is to omit needless words. So by omitting redundant, superfluous or needless words, we basically tighten our writing up and we make it tight and taut and concise. And it's so simple and so effective. And let me give your listeners one very simple, probably the most common example of needless uh, words. Instead of saying in order to further my career, you could just say to further my career. Those two little words in order add no value. They don't belong in your writing and therefore we must put them to the sword. We must remove them and just say to further my career. Yeah, simple. And my mom did that when I was writing my book uh, and she would send that back and I have all these red lines like don't need that word, don't need that word. Oh Lordy, it's the hardest thing to internalize but once you can nail it, it is probably oh, one of the biggest opportunities. It's transformative. Yeah. You're writing yeah. so much more mm, Absolutely. I love yeah. so, omit needless words. Yeah, love it. All right. So just to recap, how to become a more compelling writer. First, write for your reader. This requires you to understand your reader well enough to craft your writing accordingly. Second is find your voice. This requires you to define your writing character and tone of voice to determine your style. Third, structure is important. You need to think about how your reader will process through what you are saying in order to write in a structure that will pull them down your funnel. And fourth, proofread. Nothing ruins your credibility more than making silly spelling, punctuation, or word choice mistakes. But this is also an opportunity to check for clarity and consistency with your brand, character, and tone. And with that, we'll say go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.